Through these weeks together, we're going through Matthew chapter 9, looking at Jesus' life. What does he share with us about what he wants to do in us and through us? Last week, we looked and saw the power that Christ had to heal, to set free. And, and, and we engaged that passion and said, Lord, what do you want to do in me? But then also, we looked at his grace. And maybe as we think about serving in his name, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning, maybe we feel we're not worthy of that, and yet Jesus called those who were on the outs. Will you and I hear that call and respond? Not just to, to acknowledge his power, but also his grace, that he will work, that he desires to work through us. And so today I want us to go to the last part of this chapter first to see more of what Christ wants to do. Uh, but then also go back then later in the first part of this chapter to see what else is revealed about his character and about his heart, okay? Now to do that, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Does anybody here have a family member who's a minister? Anybody? I'm not, nobody's going to label you charismatic. Just put your hands up. Okay, here we go. Nobody, okay, there we go. They were waving hands at the Methodist church. Okay, anybody have a really good friend who's a minister? Awesome. Good. You're helping me out. Things get miscommunicated about that. Look, miscommunication happens all the time. I had, probably because I couldn't get one, but I had purposely said in my heart, I'm not going to have a girlfriend in high school. Okay? I just kind of set that in my mind, but there was this wonderful girl a year ahead of me, just awesome Christian girl, and eventually, sorry Sarah, uh, we started dating. And I had said, I'm not going to do this. I just have watched all these relationships of friends get wrecked. I don't want to be a part of that. But we had dated a few times and thought, well, maybe I will give it a try. And things got miscommunicated. We were out on a date, and we had gone to the mall in South Jackson back in the mid-'80s. And after leaving the mall, my girlfriend said, why don't we go eat at Mr. Gaddy's? I said, well, sure, that'd be awesome. I'll see you there. We had come in different cars. And so I went to Mr. Gaddy's, and she went to Mr. Gaddy's. She went to Mr. Gaddy's in South Jackson. Now, I played baseball with a lot of guys from North Jackson. The only Mr. Gaddy's I'd ever been to was the one in North Jackson. So that's where I went, and that's where she went. And we waited, and I waited. No big deal. I went home. I said, well, I guess she had to go home or something came up, and I went home. No big deal for me. When I picked up the phone 30 minutes later when it was for me, apparently it was a really big deal, and that relationship was over, that I had left her. I had forsaken her. And I drama because of a little miscommunication. You know. We know. It's one of the great truths of the Protestant Reformation. You're a minister. You are. If I had to do my homework in a town of about 25,000, a city of about 25,000, I rank at about 12,488 on the list in terms of being a minister in this community. Half of Madison is, is basically unchurched, so I'd put me at the bottom of the first half because you matter. We know, as we look at statistics, and you hear me say this too often, that 66 to 75% of everybody who bows the knee to Jesus Christ does so because of a friend, a relative, a business associate, or a neighbor. 
As you look at people who come to Jesus Christ, they don't do so. I think only 3% do so because they're looking for, uh, uh, or they, or, yeah, they're looking for truth, or about 10% because they've been through a crisis. The number one reason a person comes to Jesus Christ is because of a personal relationship with another believer. It's you. In terms of ministry, in terms of influence, in terms of the power of the gospel changing lives and bringing people to Christ, all of us are ministers. Now you know that, but we find Jesus here at the end of chapter 9 looking his disciples in the eye and saying, pray, pray for this work. The workers are few, but there is a harvest. And this is a part of my, as we said last week, Matthew 9 is the kingdom of God on display. And I want you to be not just praying for it, but I want you to go and read chapter 10. The very next thing he says, you're going. (laughs) Not only do I want you to pray for workers, but I'm going to send you all out. And I'm going to send you to free people from oppression. I'm going to send you to free people from disease Pray, but also go. We are all called to minister. Now next week we're going to look at Jesus' heart because he is broken for these people. You've seen it here. They are shepherdless. Christ is the good shepherd. He is their shepherd. Our job is to get people to him, but we also live in a community and in an age where most people aren't being shepherded. They're going their own way, trying to find Christ in their own way, and they're probably going to miss him. And so we have got to get people to Jesus Christ. Verse 35, you see him hurting for those who are without a shepherd. We are a part of the harvesting. Pray for that, yes. Give to that, yes. We'll talk about that in a minute. But also, are we open, the very next verse in chapter 10, to go out and to share And by the way, just two quick side roads on sharing our faith, as intimidating as that can be, but also as exciting as that should be, that Jesus is actually going to work his kingdom work through us. I love two things. One, I love that Matthew is so on fire for people to know God that he's careful and he's intentional. What is the kingdom called in Matthew's gospel? Do you remember? It's not the kingdom of God. What is it? Kingdom of heaven. You don't find that phrase in any other book, Old or New Testament, of the whole, of the whole Bible. It's Matthew, and Matthew alone, and, and, and scholars think it's because he's just, I don't want to get in the way. And if I use God's personal name, these Jews who I'm trying to reach are going to be offended. It means the same thing, but it doesn't mean the same thing to them. And so he's careful and, and intentional to say, the kingdom of heaven. Very careful. I'm not going up to Starkville and preaching from Revelation And talk about that verse that says sorcerers, murderers, and dogs. Not going to do it. I'm not going to Oxford and saying for our closing hymn at Revival, let's sing, O Love Divine. Deep, theological, rich song about the cross of Christ. But then it's got that line, bring those rebels back to God. Not going to sing it there. Not going to preach from Isaiah. Not Isaiah in chapter 40 in Hattiesburg. Rise up with wings like eagles. Because you know, instead of singing hallelujah, what's somebody going to say? Or to the top, or whatever it's going to be, right? Yeah. To love enough, to be passionate enough, to be careful. 
and intentional. I don't want anything to get in the way. My attitude, maybe it's my zeal and i got to tone it back. Maybe it's my word choice. Matthew is, yes, the workers. Pray for them to be sent out. The next verse, chapter 10, they are sent out. But be careful, intentional to speak their language. Jesus does that so beautifully in his teaching and in his ministry. Paul does that so carefully and intentionally throughout his ministry. How is it you and I need to know our community, to know our coworkers, to know our neighborhoods, to know the questions they are asking so that we're careful and intentional to share our faith well? And this other side road, and this, this can be hard. You may not see the fruit. It, it may be a while till you see it. We get to this passage, and we see the importance of others' faith. Go back to, to, to the opening passage. We said this last week. It's not the paralytic's faith. It's their faith. Their faith in bringing their friends, their friend to Christ, and he heals, they get to see. The synagogue official from last week, he gets to talk about his daughter, and he gets to see her resurrected. The two blind men literally get sight and get to see the work of Christ. We may not get to see the harvest. He calls them. If you go to chapter 10 and read that, he calls them to some crazy things. You go and you go do these things, and it's not going to be easy. Do exactly what I say. And when they get back there, you know what they tell him? I don't have a clue. The other gospels say they shared what they had done, and Jesus called them apart. What we get in this gospel is two chapters later, they just kind of show up and get Jesus in trouble again because they're hungry and eating on a Sabbath. I don't know. If you read this gospel way, you just don't know what the fruit is. The fact is, they just went out and shared. I don't know, Luke 15, what happened to their older brother. I hope he came to his senses and came back like his younger brother did, but it's, it's nagging at me not knowing. It's nagging at me not knowing later in Matthew's gospel when the rich young ruler walks away sad. And Jesus, it's almost like he was begging him to come, and he didn't. Does he eventually come back? I don't know. Maybe for us, maybe for us, we don't get to see it. But we know that if we're faithful, God's word will not come back void. It's our job just to work. It's our job to give. It's our job to pray and trust the Lord, the Lord to do that work, even when we don't see it. I want to show you a video. Uh, and this is of somebody, uh, Nicholas Winston, I think is his name, and I remember a work that he did in celebration. He was called to be a part of a BBC program. And I say called to be a part. He thought he was just going uh, to see a program. This is somebody who rescued about 670, 669 children from the Holocaust. He's going to this program at the BBC, assuming it's just going to watch something. And he had no idea what was about to happen. There are some stories which were not only an audience to, but may become their participants. Nikki's story came out by accident after this scrapbook surfaced after gathering dust for decades. Once it did, though, it set about a whole chain of incredible events. That's me before I left for England. 
But until 1988, I had no idea who had rescued me from all but certain death. It was this old man who had saved my life and that of hundreds of others in the Second World War. Yet for 50 years, we knew nothing about him. Four children. This is his scrapbook. There are all kinds of fascinating pictures in it. Perhaps you can see, this is a picture of Nicholas Winton himself with one of the children he rescued. If you look at the very back of this scrapbook, fascinating things in it, all the letters. But back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. I wore this around my neck, and this is the actual pass that we were given to come to England. And I'm another of the children that you saved. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? What will that scene be in glory? 50 years, he has no idea what's become of them, what's happened with them, not seeing the fruit of that immediately. Who is that coworker you've been praying for? And you may not see it, but God's word won't come back void. Who's that family member you've been praying for? Who's that person in your neighborhood you've been trying to carefully and intentionally reach with the gospel? We're just going to trust the Lord to do the work and let's be a part of the harvest now listen we can't leave this passage without seeing another part of Jesus's character another part of his life and we go back to the very beginning of this chapter we've talked about the power of Christ is put on display throughout chapter 9 the grace of Christ for people who are on the outs his great love and grace and we'll talk more of that 
next week, but also you see here in the healing of this paralytic something that the crowds did not miss. We go back to verse 6. He even has the authority to forgive sins. Verse 8. The crowd was amazed that this kind of authority was on display in this world. Matthew is painting a picture of us from the very beginning of his gospel that this is, as we so beautifully heard this morning, this is the Christ, the expected Christ, and he's coming. Matthew paints this picture again, trying to reach Jewish people of that day. I wouldn't start with a genealogy in my gospel presentation, but he does. Look how he worked through Abraham and to David to bring us the fulfillment of the promises of God. This is the Christ, even in this gospel and only in this gospel, even the wise men, these pagans, could see it in the stars that this is the Christ. Throughout the gospel, Jesus says, I am the Christ. Who do others say I am? You are the Christ. Or even his enemies know, they, he thinks he's the Christ. You can't miss, not just his power, not just his grace, but throughout this gospel, his authority. That you and I, when we go through this, uh, this season, we always respond to his grace for what he's done for us. That's why we respond. But let's, let us not also miss, again, what was sung for us this morning, that there is no name above his name. It is the highest name. This one who became incarnate, this one who healed and touched those who were sick, this one who gave himself for us and for our sins, he is the Christ, and here's the beauty of his person. Not only does he have all authority, what do you see happen in the next verse? Chapter 9, look at all these places in which he's got all authority. Chapter 10, I want to give you authority. I want to give you authority to heal and to cast out demons. Now you go in my name. How beautiful is that? This gospel is all about Christ. He is the one who has all authority. He is the expected Messiah. And we have to respond in that way. Yes, Lord, I yield to all that you have, all that you will say. Wait a minute. You want to share that gift with me? And you're going to give me authority to be a part of the harvest. What a Savior we serve. How is it this year that God is calling you to reach in a new way? Maybe it's through, maybe it's through a deepening in your prayer life to pray for the harvest Maybe it's in your giving that you support our church and our ministry locally. We're just seeing so many, so much ministry locally through our church, but also around the world, people coming to Christ through the ministries we support. But also, how is it you and I are building relationships? Because Christ has shared his kingdom work with us. How is it you would, you would cause a harvest? Because I've stepped out, because you've stepped out. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you. For what we see of your son in these passages, his power, his grace, but also as Matthew was so clear to share with us through your Holy Spirit, he is Messiah. He is the Christ. Father, it's our prayer that as we think about who you would call us to be, we might have feelings of inadequacy or we might have questions or doubts. We yield. We submit to the authority of Christ. We want to be a part of his kingdom work here and around the world. Father, Bless us and help us by your spirit and in response to your word to be careful and intentional so that we might be people of the harvest of God. Thank you for this, your word. Bless our response to it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.